This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. As the Consumer Electronics Show rolls on, we could be looking at a very interesting year ahead in the tech sector. We still have great investment in autonomous vehicles. We see more and more robotics used in our society, and all avenues of the business sector are being impacted. Decisions made by the C-suite, sales, and even marketing. Wharton grad John Scully uh, is the co-founder of Zeta, a marketing firm which looks into these areas. John is also former CEO of Apple and president of Pepsi. He's also co-founder and chairman of the board of RX Advance, and it's great to have John joining us once again. John, great to have you back on the show. Thank you, Dan. Good to be back. Thank you. Since since you have been a longtime marketer, I wanted to start with this. Is marketing more challenging than ever now because of the personal nature of the industry and because of, of the influx of digital? I think it, it is uh, much more accurate, much more uh, capable of uh, playing an even bigger role in terms of how you can transform an entire industry uh, using marketing as a key lever. Uh, if I go back to the era where I first entered marketing, which was uh, back in the days of uh, three television networks, yeah. big brands, mass distribution, you know, rollout of companies like Walmart and um, you know, other f- fast food uh, chains, as well as uh, mass drug and uh, mass merchandisers, that today uh, we're in a complete transformation of what marketing is about. It's all about personalized messaging. Uh, it's taking advantage of uh, machine learning technology. It's uh, much more precise, uh, far less expensive to be able to reach the people who are actually going to be uh, your highest uh, possible buyers of products, uh, great things you can do from loyalty programs and uh, extending the lifetime value of customers, things that just weren't uh, even possible uh, even a decade ago. So are, are more companies in your mind understanding a lot of the data that is in front of them so that they can have those effective programs? And, and let me ask you this as well. With a company like Zeta, how is that affecting a marketing company these days? Well, Zeta Global is is uh, growing extremely rapidly. We're, we're uh, growing about 40% top line. We're very profitable. Uh, we have about um, 1,400 employees uh, we're the largest independent marketing cloud company, uh, I believe, in the world right now. And we are uh, working in the United States. Uh, we have uh, a very large number of the Fortune 500, you know, are our clients. So uh, we're seeing rapid adoption uh, by even the biggest marketers in the U.S., uh, using Zeta Global's technology. So what is it that makes Zeta Global stand out from from other marketers these days? The thing, the thing that really makes us stand out is that uh, we acquired a company in 2017 called um, Boomtrain, which was an artificial intelligence company, and we've been able to fully integrate that into our platform, uh, which we call Hub2. And this is enabling us to be far more precise in terms of matching up the attributes of the highest potential buyers of a product uh, to the capabilities of our personalized marketing engines 
to be able to really give uh, a level of precision that uh, just wasn't possible before we got it to machine learning technology. And it's all fully deployed. It's working well. Um, it's one of the reasons why we're growing so rapidly at Zeta Global. John Scully joining us, uh, Wharton grad and co-founder of uh, Zeta Global, and also uh, he is co-founder and chairman of the board of RX Advance. Your comments are welcome at 844-WHARTON, 844-942-7866. Obviously, a lot of people are talking right now about artificial intelligence and the impact that it is going to have in a variety of, of different sectors. How do you see artificial intelligence already making an impact in marketing and retail and a variety of other areas? Well, let's go back uh, and, and sort of understand the uh, basic principles of what uh, makes artificial intelligence uh, so capable. Uh, actually, I got my first experience uh, with the core mathematics when I was at the Wharton. Uh, I worked uh, for the Management Science Institute that uh, Professor Roe Olison and, uh, and uh, Professor Russ Acoff had founded, and I was helping build uh, probability markets uh, models using Bayesian statistical modeling, and then I went on after Wharton into uh, Monte Carlo game theory and uh, Markov chain analysis, which are all uh, examples of predictive analytics. Today, the computers are so powerful that we're, uh, we're now able to do this at a very practical, low-cost way, uh, even though it seemed you know, almost like you know, just an academic exercise you know, back in my student days. So what machine learning really is, is applying probability theory uh, and saying that things are likely to happen, you know, based on looking at thousands and thousands of attributes for each individual. So industries like financial services, where consumer banks collect a very large number of attributes, uh, buying behaviors on people and it's largely what's called data exhaust, meaning that the banks only use maybe one to one and a half percent of this data in any effective way. Now with machine learning, uh, it's possible to take that financial attributes information on behaviors for a large number of bank customers and do things like being able to predict even before somebody applies for a credit card whether they're going to be turned down or accepted. Right. Uh, that has huge financial implications for the banks. Uh, I have a company that uh, John Mack, the former chairman of Morgan Stanley, and I are uh, investors in, which is called Lantern Credit. And we are using um, artificial intelligence. This is very advanced, deep learning artificial intelligence to go in and completely change the way in which credit scoring is being done for consumer credit finance. And it means that for middle-income people who haven't had a wage increase, let's say, in you know, maybe one or two decades, that we can increase their credit borrowing uh, costs uh, so that we can substantially reduce what it would cost them on a loan and show them how to work up uh, and improve credit score and do all of this very, very rapidly. In the past, it's taken four or five months for someone to go through a tedious process to have any chance to improve their credit scores. So these are just a, a few examples of uh, practical applications of 
machine learning and even the more advanced uh, what's called now deep learning. So it, it sounds like your expectation is that as we go through the next few years, uh, we will see companies, banks, what, whatever it may be that are obviously are involved in this area, see a significant increase in terms of uh, their precision of operation, which obviously, as, as you kind of alluded to, is a, a bottom line benefit to a lot of these firms. Absolutely. Um, AI is going to be uh, foundational in every industry. Uh, I'm seeing it in fintech. I'm seeing it in market tech. Uh, we're seeing it in health tech, which is probably my major focus these days. So it's um, one of those fundamental changes. I mean, just like uh, in the previous industrial age, it was all about electricity and oil. Uh, in the future, it's going to be a commodity that will be deployed in you know, many, many different ways. And it will be something that you'll just be able to plug into. That's why you see companies like uh, Amazon with their AWS uh, are moving so rapidly with Alexa, uh, which is their voice um, assistant using machine learning to go in and, and uh, be able to respond to lots of, diff lots of different task requests. And, um, you know, it, it's just a fundamental change in, in uh, kind of the infrastructure right. that we as marketers are going to have available to us over the next decade. John Scully joining us uh, here on the show. You're listening to Knowledge at Wharton here on Sirius XM 111, business radio powered by the Wharton School. Uh, being a marketer, I wanted to get your opinion. We're going to talk about this uh, later on, uh, about uh, the impact that you see in terms of marketing coming out of CES, especially considering how the auto industry uh, really has had to change quite significantly in the last uh, few years with all of the technology that they are having to include in their vehicles these days. Absolutely. Uh, I've been going to CES ever since it started. Uh, I used to do keynote speeches at uh, CES uh, back in my Apple days. And the reality is that it's no longer a hardware show. Uh, it's now more and more about services. Uh, as you pointed out, with the automotive industry, uh, the future is as much about uh, the service side of um, the future of trans personalized transportation as it is uh, you know, actually uh, building and assembling cars, and we'll see that in, in every field. Uh, you used to be able to walk through CES and see uh, display after display of consumer electronics and yeah. large screen TVs. Now it's moving much more towards uh, the capabilities of machine learning, the capabilities of uh, virtual reality, augmented reality, you know, many of these things which are really software-based more than hardware-based. Well, and there was even this story, and I don't know if you saw it, uh, about Nissan uh, doing some sort of uh, technology that would link uh, the, what the brain was thinking, brainwave activity, to the automobile itself. I mean, to think about that as a possibility in the future is unbelievable. Yeah. Well, there's uh, lots of experimental work going on in those fields. I mean, I'm, I'm close to many of the largest, um, you know, best-known technical universities and speak at them, you know, throughout the year, uh, whether it's MIT or uh, Xinhua in China or ETH uh, in Switzerland. Um, there's just so much academic uh, innovation going on in parallel to the commercial innovation that is going on in the entrepreneurial world of um, high-tech like Silicon Valley, Boston, Austin, Texas, San Diego, places like that. 
we're coming off of uh, what is seen to be a, a pretty good retail holiday season, and I'd be interested to get your opinion on the retail sector and where they are headed. And obviously, they have been an area that uh, has been trying to uh, increase its ability uh, in the tech world, uh, so that they can remain. Uh, th- that they can remain uh, a significant part of the economy. Obviously, Amazon and, and companies like Amazon have, have done unbelievable work in the last uh, decade or so. I, I think the uh, big change in the, in the last uh, 24 months is the uh, shift by mainstream retailers to what's called omni-channel. Uh, omni-channel means uh, saying we're not going to do just one channel of brick-and-mortar stores uh, or uh, just online, we've got to make these two things work together. Well, as more and more uh, sensors are introduced into the brick-and-mortar world, as more and more capability is uh, linking what you can do on a smartphone uh, to synchronize with location-based uh, services in the brick-and-mortar store, you're starting to see these uh, two channels uh, work in very synchronous ways. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we're seeing that the building of a brand, which used to be back in my era at the Pepsi and then later at, at, at Apple, was about promoting the product itself. Today, we see that uh, Amazon, with Amazon Prime, has completely reinvented how we think about brands. Brands today are not just the product, but it's the experience of, you know, can I try it? If I don't like it, I can return it. Somebody will pick it up. Can I get the product delivered to me in two hours? So it's the complete cycle of the experience from uh, someone wanting to to discover a product they might be interested in, uh, going through the purchase cycle, trying the product out, in some cases returning the product, and uh, maybe buying something else. So it's a complete life cycle of the brand experience uh, that goes way beyond just the traditional things we used to think of as brands like Pepsi or Apple. So how much has that significantly changed? Let's even go back to, you know, to your days working in Apple and Pepsi. Uh, th- that mindset, that understanding by companies today that you have to have that complete cycle. And obviously, so many consumers now are, are looking for uh, having a great experience, uh, you know, when they're uh, being involved with a particular retailer, you know, having the, uh, the, the, the feeling that they are getting the best 100% of the time. Uh, you know, your former company, Apple, obviously went through a little bit of a to-do recently uh, with the battery issue. Uh, not that it was uh, a significant problem, but if, for a company that has done as well as Apple has, to have any kind of little mark on the brand is, is not something that they're looking to have. Well, I'll, I'll give you a little uh, uh, backgrounder uh, on experience marketing. Uh, back in the 1970s, during the Cola Wars, uh, when I was head of marketing for Pepsi in, in the U.S., uh, we were outsold 10 to 1 by Coca-Cola in 50% of the country. Right. And we realized that Coke was the most valuable brand in the world at, at that time. They owned reality and we said, perception leads reality. We've got to own perception. And so we created uh, what at the time I called experience marketing. And it was all around something uh, that became a well-known campaign at that time called the Pepsi Challenge, where we said yeah. to the consumer, yeah. let your taste decide. 
Well, that inspired Steve Jobs to recruit me to Apple because he said he was building a product called the Macintosh, which was going to be for non-technical people to do amazing creative things. He said, how do I market this as an experience? And, and so we worked together to launch the Macintosh. And the f- foundations of what we learned, and as you know, Steve became the greatest marketer in, in the world personally, uh, those were the foundationals uh, that Apple still uses to this day. And many companies have built on that in what's now called the experience economy. And so uh, the experience economy now has so many things that we can look to as marketers in terms of how we use uh, technology as a tool to enable us to do things at a personalized level uh, that just wasn't possible back in the days when you know, I was doing things like Pepsi Challenge or, you know, Steve and I were working together to launch the original Macintosh. Well, but there, there is also still, an, and I remember this growing up, is the concern that sometimes the consumer has of the company getting too close to them or having too much information. That, I think, is still there to a little bit, but to a degree, I think the concerns about it have gone away. Yeah, it's a really interesting um, issue you, you bring up because... We know today that uh, 99% of the growth in uh, marketing uh, services are with two companies. Uh, I'm, I'm excluding China because China is all you know, kind of walled off. Right. Uh, but um, 99% of the growth in, in marketing services are with two companies, Facebook and, and uh, Google. So the big challenge is, um, you know, does Facebook know too much about us? Right. Uh, and you know, how do we uh, enable people to, to have uh, the control over their lives so that some things they may want to keep personal and some things they're willing to be exposed in order to get you know, all new kinds of services? And the, the honest answer is it hasn't been figured out yet. Uh, and the big discussion over the past year has is, is been about uh, fake news. You know, Facebook is, is dealing with that right. at Mark Zuckerberg's level. Uh, they're the first to admit they still haven't figured out how to, you know, effectively deal with every part of that problem. Um, so we're still in the um, early days of saying, how do we balance between right of privacy for an individual uh, versus uh, being able to do things with information that can be to the benefit of the consumer, but on the other hand, there's information there that is maybe going too far uh, in terms of uh, letting an organization, a corporation, you know, know about the consumer. So these are things which are going to uh, take, I think, several years to you know, be able to be figured out if we ever do fully figure it out. Which it's interesting because it, what we've seen, obviously, in the last year retail, from the retail perspective, and obviously you saw a lot of it during the holiday season, was a push to have, you know, so many families want to have the voice assistant. You know, in their household, they want to have Alexa, they want to have Siri, they want to have, you know, all of these different entities. And now we're seeing it in the cars. So if there's a concern about having too much information, it doesn't seem like it's going to slow down because there are more and more areas that we are seemingly finding ways to have this kind of data and have this this knowledge available. Uh, I agree completely with what you just said. Uh, The voice assistant uh, I think is one of the truly you know, great uh, breakthroughs. Uh, what Amazon did with Alexa uh, and the speed at which they have been rolling Alexa out 
And of course, they're being followed by others, you know, with Google Assistant and with Siri and, uh, you know, various other competitors out there with uh, their version of, of a voice assistant. Uh, one of the most interesting things that I'm following is that Amazon is moving into search. You know, search yeah. has been dominated by, by Google. Uh, but Amazon is doing it this time with voice-assisted search. And it's showing great popularity. And Amazon has two ways to monetize it. One is, of course, with Amazon Prime, which is about 90 million uh, members subscribe to Amazon Prime. Uh, most of those members are, are in North America. And, and, and the other is uh, they can offer you know, a search service because take something like cars that you mentioned. People typically are in their car one or two hours a day, uh, hands-free experience of saying, gee, uh, Alexa or whatever the service is, uh, I have this question. And it's becoming more and more conversational, whereas machine learning originally was kind of task-specific. Alexa, what's the weather in, in New York today? Yeah, yeah. Uh, now it's becoming much more conversational. And the future of voice assistance is moving more and more towards a conversational metaphor. So, the, and then that again, playing off of that, it's going to increase even more with the amount of robotics and and actual robots that we see uh, in our society. You know, it, not just in you know the auto assembly plants anymore, but in a variety of different locations, hospitals, uh, you know, wherever it may be. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, you know, I, I've talked in in the past to groups about uh, the shift from linear time to exponential time. And in linear time, you know, most of us have thought of things in uh, days, weeks, months. You know, we sort of have a metal map uh, in our brains of how long it takes to do things. In exponential time, it's the compounding of math. So it's, uh, you know, 2, 4, 8, 16, 32, and it's doubling. And so it's this uh, accelerating curve of change that our human experience is just not accustomed to. So when we talk about breakthroughs uh, with things like deep learning or precision medicine or robotics uh, uh, and how these things can be implemented in driverless cars and things like that, uh, you have to get linear time out of your reference because linear time would say, well, that'll happen over the next 10 years. Exponential time says, no, these things are gonna happen over the next two years, three years. Uh, it's what used to be done in uh, three years will get done in three months. What used to get done in, in uh, three months will get done in three weeks. And that's a major adjustment for large established corporations that aren't used to having to move quickly. They're more like battleships. How do they compete with entrepreneurial capitalism, which is able to move very, very rapidly, may not have the dollar resources uh, and the scale of the large organizations, right. but they're going to be much better capable of adapting to exponential time, so, moving from linear time. So, and we're talking with John Scully, uh, Wharton grad and uh, former CEO of Apple and president of Pepsi, and he's uh, co-founder of uh, and chairman of the board of RX Advance, co-founder of uh, Zeta Global. Uh, so it, it feels like we're also at a time right now where we're seeing more and more consolidation. Obviously, we've seen that in the uh, uh, in the the entertainment sector uh, with uh, the companies that are that are uh, joining together, uh, Amazon, uh, you know, buying Whole Foods, and now there's rumors out there of them potentially going after Target. Are are you seeing? Are you is your expectation that you're going to see more and more of these types of consolidations come together? And if we do, 
Is there part of you that has any concern about so much consolidation? Well, I think we will continue to see a, a lot of consolidation. Um, some of it is just, you know, pure economics, being right. able to do uh, things with less uh, resources, uh, you know, expended. And um, so you see organizations like in, the, in, in my field, healthcare, uh, we see CVS is going to acquire Aetna. Uh, well, that's going to make a giant uh, corporation, but it's a, it's a vertical consolidation uh, as opposed to a horizontal uh, consolidation. Uh, we see right now the debate that's going on within the Justice Department about uh, AT&T acquiring uh, Time Warner. And the question is, uh, is that a vertical consolidation or right. is it a horizontal consolidation? Right. Well, I think most of us in business would say, well, that's a vertical consolidation. It, it should be approved. Uh, and yet there's some question whether uh, the government is going to say, no, we think that's too much um, massing of power at a horizontal level. So there, there are going to be a, a lot of pushbacks from the government on some of these big uh, consolidation moves. Uh, but I think the trend is very much in favor of consolidation. John, as always, it's great to catch up with you. Thank you for your time today and look forward to talking to you again down the road. Great. Thank you for inviting me, Dan. Thank you. All the best. John Scully, a, a wealth of knowledge uh, from that gentleman, uh, former CEO of Apple, president of Pepsi, as we mentioned, currently uh, co-founder of uh, RX Advance and co-founder of uh, Zeta Global as well. Uh, great to have him on the show. Always great. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. 